0: Welcome to People Tech, the podcast of the HCM Technology Report. We're recording from HR Tech in Vegas, brought to you by our friends and partners at Fuel 50. Here's your host, Mark Pfeffer.
1: Welcome to People Tech, the podcast of the HCM Technology Report. I'm Mark Pfeffer. And recording again today at the Expo Hall of the HR Technology Conference and Exhibition. And I have two guests with me, and I'm gonna ask them to introduce themselves.
2: Hi, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Jason Averbrook, CEO and co-founder of LeapGen, and I'm really excited to be here today.
1: Thanks, Jason. It's nice to see you.
0: Hi, Mark. I'm Jess Von Bank, also with LeapGen. I run Luminate, which is our vendor practice, and have a little to do with our brand and message in the marketplace. For all of these wonderful uh, delegates of the conference, we get to work with both enterprises and all of the people making the solutions for this space. Uh, So it's very exciting for us to be here as well.
1: That's great. It's great to see you. So let me start with kind of a general question. There's a lot of uh, energy at this show this year. Is that reflective of something beyond the fact we're not in our house because of COVID? I mean, is there... Are there things going on in the industry that you think have got the industry excited?
2: Yeah, let me go ahead and get started. And then I'm sure Jess will have something to weigh in. I mean, I, if you look at what the world has been through in the last three years, and, and when I say that, the first thing people always jump to has been, is COVID. And that's not what I'm talking about. It's one of the things I'm talking about, but it's not all I'm talking about. We've gone through massive shifts around trust in who we trust, what we trust, how we trust. Do we trust government? Do we trust HR departments? Do we trust the companies we work for? We've gone through massive shifts when it comes to how people work. COVID was an accelerant to that, but massive shifts into, is there hybrid work? You know, do people go to an office? We've gone through massive shifts in humanity, in trying to be more empathetic to workers and being demanded, to be honest with you, Mm -hmm. to be more empathetic to workers we've lost a tremendous amount of workers from the workforce for lots of different reasons. So when you, I mean, I could do that all day, Mark. I could, go to, I could go down the list. I could keep telling you about the changes over the last three years. But if you take just what I said, just stop right there, the energy and the excitement should be here because basically our industry has been flipped on its head. Mm-hmm. Anything that we did before 2020, we shouldn't be doing anymore, with the exception of the basics of getting people paid. We have to think differently about how do we personalize. We have to think differently about how do we scale empathy. We have to think differently about how do we automate and digitize. And to me, that's why the excitement's here. Like there's a component of it, which is like, wow, there's actually skin instead of (laughs) just a screen to show a Zoom face. But the bigger excitement is we're in the midst of the biggest work transformation in the history of the world. And who wouldn't be excited to be in that industry? True.
0: Jess, did you have thoughts? And some of those macro issues Jason is talking about, really the entire fabric of the employment relationship has changed. And there are a number of reasons for that. There are a number of shifts that have occurred. But the most important shift that has occurred is the power shift. Employee power has shifted. So I think humanity and human psyche hasn't hyper-evolved you know, all that much over the last few years. H- human beings at our core don't change quite that fast. A lot of things around us changed quite fast. And then the power shifted. So we're in a position to make decisions that we weren't in a position to make before. We're in a position to work on our own terms which is an entirely new concept in the history of work. Employees calling the shots on their own behalf. That's why this is such a massive opportunity to democratize the experience of work, to democratize opportunity. That's why DEI can finally make progress because the power has shifted and people are able to work on their own terms and in their own best interests. What an opportunity for people to live better lives. And employers who figure out how to deliver on that can make hey, <laughs> you know, this is not a loss for employers because the power has shifted. They need to figure out how to win the game differently.
1: But there's always this conversation about you know, the, the power center has shifted in the labor force. And I'm wondering what happens the next time the economy taxs? And the dynamics change. they change more I think the we've portion. already
0: seen it, Mark. I think the economy started to recover and the labor market didn't follow. Mm-hmm. The labor market didn't react and respond the way we thought it should, the way economics books tell us it should, because people, again, are making decisions differently. And so I, I think that's the most interesting thing we're seeing, is that this is the part that's not going to slide back. I think this is, you know, this isn't a, a moment in time. This isn't a single event. This is truly an evolution.
2: You really have to, Mark, just back to your question, you really have to look at how the, the question of economy and humanity. They're two different topics. You know, I mean, you can say the economy shifts. The economy is going to shift up and down all day long. It's been doing it for decades. You know, what's changed is the humanity component of it. And that a worker now realizes... And, by the way, not just because of the pandemic, but because of the fact that there's Gen Zs who are, have been raised differently, who have been raised in a digital era, who basically are not going to work for a company that treats them like blah. They're not. Right. It's easy. It's not. And there's not enough people. Even if, I mean, back to your premise, even if the economy dips down, there's not enough people to fill the jobs. And every day, as you know, four people retire one person enters the workforce. Like, Do the math. There's not going to be 20 million, 30 million, 40 million 20-year-olds dropped out of the sky ready to work. And we have to deal with that. So the employees have the power. I don't actually agree with you that the power is going to shift back to the employer. They're going to have to meet maybe in the middle more than ever. But I don't think it's going to shift back. I don't think it should. I think if we let it, as an HR industry, we're dooming ourselves.
1: What you're talking about, one of the dynamics, um, I think, is skills. There's been a large discussion about skills that's developed over the last couple of years. And it seems to have really worked its way into a lot of companies. Companies are taking it seriously. Can you talk about that a little bit? What do you think is driving it and where do you think it's going?
0: Well, before we talk about skills, Jason talked about the the labor shortage a little bit. The fact that we have more people retiring than entering the workforce. I call, Mark, don't be mad at me, I call BS on the labor shortage all the time. We have millions of workers who are underemployed, underpromoted, underpaid, which should be illegal corporate activity, underdeveloped. We do nothing to create pathways for them to move around and move up in organizations. We're underserving talent, and yet we say we have a labor shortage. We don't have a labor shortage. We have an underdevelopment problem. We have an underpromotion problem. We have a pay gap. So those are the things to fix. And that also requires, by the way, deconstructing jobs and reconstructing people based on a new foundation, which is skills. And I'd love Jason to build on that. That's truly, I mean, skills is part of this this future evolution of talent that we're seeing. It's a really, really important common denominator that employers are mm-hmm. going to have to get used to leveraging.
2: And i just going to we have a labor shortage. I know you're saying we don't. Yeah. We have a labor shortage based on how we're structured yes. today. Yes, yes, yes. Like if I could just expand on yep. it. It's not not that we don't have a labor shortage. There's not an argument whether we have a labor shortage. We have a labor shortage based on our world today, Yes. based on our org structures, based on how we think of underprivileged, all of that other stuff. That creates a labor shortage. Okay, <laughs> so we do have a labor shortage, but it's not a bodies necessarily only it's based on how we structure our organizations today. And that basically, I don't let people work three companies at the same time.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, why? Because that's an old model of work that we haven't shifted to. So when we start thinking about skills, and you know, you said there's been a lot of talk about skills for the last three years. There's been a lot of talk about skills for the last 30 years. I, I mean, I, I don't, when you say three years, get it. You know, skills has just become the latest thing that, you know, helps software vendors sell product, as far as I'm concerned. As a dinosaur, me, like, I have the same skills data in the PeopleSoft talent profile that I developed in 1997. All we're doing now is we've got some AI technology to make it a little bit smarter. But what's changed is how organizations are using skills data what's changed is the promise that we're trying to match people to roles and what's happened is skills has gone from just what do you know to truly who you are it's a really big difference because the way i've tracked skills for decades is what i know and for the most part that's self-stated You know, hey, I know Java. Hey, guess what? I know so-and-so. Hey, guess what? I went to University of North Carolina. Is that a skill? Maybe, maybe not. Hey, guess what? I do volunteer work. Is that a skill? Maybe, maybe not. One of the things I'm going to be talking about, Mark, in my keynote tomorrow is the shift from skills to rarities. And really looking at the rarities of people. And saying that it's not just about a skill. Because right now, there isn't a common skills definition. And all of the world said, hey, we need a skills taxonomy. Cool. But a skills taxonomy only captures what people are stating about themselves or could be proven via some sort of an assessment. But there's a lot more about you, Mark, than what a skill is that makes you a huge asset To an organization and until people start thinking about the rarities that make up a person besides just the stated skills, we're going to miss the mark in putting the right person in the right role.
0: The other reason that's really, really important, Mark, is if we rely on employment history, acquired, validated, self-stated skills, we're never going to get diversity recruitment right. We're never going to overcome some of the barriers of entry that exist that have been in place for a long, 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 long time. So if you say you're doing diversity recruitment, you have to come up with different ways to invite people into the workforce who hadn't existed. How are you going to get women in tech? You can't rely on employment history because guess what? You haven't been hiring women in tech. So, and that's so, another rarity. That's yes. Another example
2: of a rarity. Yeah,
0: Yeah. So you have to overcome, you have to think about acquired and desired skills. You have to think about skills in a different way. And that will, by the way, support diversity recruitment. It will support mobility and development efforts. Uh, so it's a really important foundation to understand.
1: Are companies capable of doing that today? Mm-hmm.
0: They're not doing it today. Are they capable? Of course. it's. It's a, different, it's a fundamental shift in the way they've constructed their talent strategies. And one of the things that we talk about a lot at LeapGen is rethinking talent altogether. You can't support holistic employee journeys in a heavily siloed talent function. You have to pull the skills thread all the way through from the moment you start attracting a human being to your organization and understanding what makes them up What are they interested in? What do they have? What do they want? You start learning a lot about a person, including skills and capabilities. You have to have a way to pull that thread all the way through their employee life cycle and your organizational needs so that you can keep matching and mapping and and having that conversation. We don't do that today. We can't do that today because we're too heavily siloed in the function itself and in our systems and infrastructure that support talent.
2: COEs are the poison. COEs, centers of excellence, are the poison (laughs) of being able to do holistic talent management. Why? Just what Jess said. I have recruiters storing data on on the recruiting process. I have people storing data about internal movement. I've got people storing data on learning and development. I've got people storing data on diversity and inclusion. I've got people storing data on career plans. But it's all different. It's all scattered, and it's not just data. It's the experience for the employee. I'm one person. I want to understand how one organization is going to care for me, love me, empathize with me, et cetera, et cetera. If each COE owns a portion of that and has zero handoff, zero handoff of not just data, but journey of feeling of understanding how I inspire my existing workforce i i don't have a chance all i mean all the technology in this place mark all the technology and you could take you could do you could say hey guess what i'm gonna push superpower button and make every piece of technology in this place five times more powerful it would have zero impact until we fix the organizational structure of how hr thinks about talent None of this technology will truly realize the potential that it has.
1: So that's a big task, changing the HR's traditional structure. How do you get that
2: done? You get it done by helping people realize that they can't achieve what they're trying to achieve. And unfortunately, the only thing that happens today, or one of the things that happens today, is people say, oh, guess what? We need a new tech. So we've got an old tech. We're going to buy a new tech and all of a sudden they get the same result. Oh, we have a new tech, we're gonna get the same result. So it's big. But I mean, once again, one of the things we talk about, if work has changed, if workers have changed, if business has changed, what does HR do? Stay the same? That's the definition of insanity. So like, yeah, we have to do something big. Like, and once again, if you're scared of it, do something else.
0: And Mark, I'd like to say it's not an HR task. It's business strategy. I, like, I don't know how, the, how, the, how a business will operate in 10 years if they don't start making some of these moves now. And so that's the first thing to realize, and it's probably an HR self-realization, that this isn't my work alone. I require alignment and buy-in and strategic you know visioning and, partners, partnership. and partnership across the business for this.
2: Because these people don't report to me. Right. All I'm doing is shepherding programs that help the business groom them, grow them, develop them, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, if I don't get the business support and I just roll out HR stuff.
0: I mean, you, you can read report after report that every CEO on the planet will tell you people are their number one priority. Right. But yet the same CEOs would tell you they have trouble making people their number one asset. That's the chasm that exists. And sure, it's a fundamental change in the, in the way they think about and activate people for the business, but again, the, 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 the payoff is there. Now you have to figure out the strategy, and we talk all the time about prioritizing and sequencing the work so that you're not boiling the ocean. Sure, you have to eat the elephant one bite at a time, but if you do it in order of impact to the business, you know, if retention is a problem today, fix the retention problem, but fix it in such a way that that strategy feeds and supports the broader strategy. These are fundamental shifts you're making in the way you think about, which includes retaining and developing uh, talent. You know, we hear all about quiet quitting these days. This is not a new thing. This is not an, again, it's not an event. It's not a phenomenon that exists because of certain cri- You know, condi- conditions that are happening right now. This is something we're, we're just now trying to understand and we can no longer ignore because we haven't, I actually think it's, a, it's just a symptom of something that we haven't fixed yet, which is how are we seeing, empowering, activating people? If you do those things, retention won't be a problem.
1: So let me ask you to sort of look ahead. Um, what does an effective HR organization Where should it
2: look like? I can go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you think about an effective HR organization, the first thing it has to do is it has to have a vision and a why that's tied to business goals. Does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah. Which means it has to have a strategy capability. It doesn't just have people that do transactions. Okay. So that's number one. So if my business goal is to acquire three companies in 2023, guess what? That's what HR needs to focus on. If my goal is to generate more profit in 2023, guess what? That's what HR needs to have as its success metrics throughout. Underneath that strategy layer is then thinking about how do I bring that to life? Okay, and I bring that to life in two ways. Talent and operationalizing talent. Okay, so I need someone who leads talent. Not 18 people that lead talent. Someone that leads talent. And someone that needs how to operationalize that talent, answer their questions, show sympathy, have technology that supports them, et cetera, et cetera. And then I need people that are tier two and tier three that if my technology can't support the person that that person can go talk to and have a conversation like I'm having a mental health issue right now. What should I do? Because guess what? Humans are humans outside of work. They're humans inside of work. And humans demand more empathy than ever before. So we talk, Mark, all the time about hands, heads, and hearts. What are machines good at? They're good at hands work. What are people good at? They're good at hearts work. So the future HR organization has to understand that. and HR has to get out of the hands work. Has to. They have to be digital, not do digital projects. They have to be digital, and make sure that they structure themselves in a way where they're focused on the head's work, which is telling stories about data, and the heart's work, which is developing, growing that talent. Right. And if we think about that, that's like those are. I mean, without going into org org structure boxes, those are the two things: talent and operationalizing and enabling that talent or activating that talent by allowing that talent to do the job we hired them to do versus doing a job that they don't know how to do, which is HR's job.
0: Just? I mean, the only thing I would add, we talk a lot about you know digital transformation and how do you make the function of HR digital. And part of that way of thinking is part of the shift that HR is experiencing. HR as a people function needs to learn how to act like experience creators, stewards of experience, also measures, measurers (laughs) of experience. What does that, we need to get as sophisticated in that function, in that function of the business, as, as the consumer people are at customer attraction and customer experience. That's a I mean, that's the lifeblood of the business, right? The HR function needs to think and sophisticate and evolve itself in such a way that they are as good at thinking about their own people experience as thinking about customers.
1: Jason and Jess, thank you so much for taking the time to stop by.
0: Amazing. Thank you for having us.
2: Thank you so much for having us. You've been listening to PeopleTech of the HCM Technology Report. This HR Tech series
1: is graciously brought to you by our partners at Fuel50. For all other HR, sourcing, and recruiting news, check out HCMTechnologyReport.com.
2: The world's best known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway.